Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Are you in Genesis 28? We are we're really embarked on a series the memorials of Jacob, and it's really preaching from the narrative. It's a challenge because uh, unlike preaching from principles, James and the epistle of James just lays out topics kind of one after another. When you preach the story of someone's life, it's not that principled. You have to apply as you go through, but I'm thankful how practical it is. As we preach through the Bible stories and narratives, there are clear reflections of who we are and how we need to learn and how we need to grow. And so we see that, of course, in the life of Jacob. Did you know that the Lord aligns himself with Jacob in a special way? In fact, he says in Psalm 46 twice, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Twice he says that. Amazing that God would align himself with such a rascal. And I know that uh, if God aligns himself with any one of us, he's aligning himself with what? A sinner, a great sinner. And I'm thankful that we can identify with Jacob in so many ways. I hope this morning's lesson, as we look through his life, one, one more of his memorials, that we will be encouraged together in our walk with the Lord ourselves. Father, we pray for your help and your wisdom. Thank you so much uh, for already our time of fellowship and sing. We look forward, even after we're done here in a few minutes, Lord, to more fellowship continuing as we eat together and <clears throat> enjoy just catching up perhaps in an informal way after this time in the sanctuary. As we meet and eat together, Lord, I pray that our hearts again would find many reasons to praise you. And so I pray again that you would have your way as we look into your word and feed on spiritual truth and food. We pray that we would be uh, just encouraged to be more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We left uh, Jacob last time, a couple of weeks ago, we left Jacob uh, rather discouraged. In fact, if you can recall, he had just run away from home. And he is, uh, he's not a young chap anymore. He's about 78 years of age, but he's running away from home. And I don't know if anybody remembers why. He's uh, only gone about 40 miles north and has escaped from home. And he stopped uh, by a place called Luz or later called Bethel, the house of God, and he spends the night with his head pillowed on a bunch of rocks. During the night, you remember what happened. He had a vision, a ladder from heaven, and up and down the ladder came angels. And there, at perhaps one of his most discouraging moments in life, God reminded him that he was the God of Abraham and Isaac, and the covenant blessings would then fall upon Jacob. This surprised Jacob a bit. Although he wanted God's blessing, he was surprised that God in such a dramatic fashion would meet him at the lowest point of his life, really up to then, and remind him of God's goodness. Blessed on, or He's blessed, and we all are, based on not our character, but God's character. Jacob had just finished uh, really deceiving his father. If there's one enduring, uh, endearing quality about Jacob is that he, he really wants to do right. He wants God's blessing. But can you remember how he got God's blessing? Remember? 
his blessing getting day, his mother had heard that Isaac, uh, Jacob's father, was about to confer the blessing, the family birthright and blessing. And so she whispered to her son, Jacob, bless, hey, your father, my husband, is about ready to confer the blessing, the family blessing, spiritual authority uh, passed on through the generations, and he's going to give it to Esau. So if you want to get in line first, here's what you got to do. Remember the blessing getting day? Here's what he did. He put on what? He put on his brother's clothes in order to deceive his father who was growing blind. <laughs> and so you can see him. He's dressed in Esau's clothes. He's got goat skins wrapped around his arms. Remember the story all the way back from Sunday school? He probably tries to disguise his voice to be like his hunter brother. And he's coming into his daddy's room, the den perhaps in the tent. I don't know how that worked out, but he came in. And can you see him as he says, I'm in my, I'm in my blessing getting outfit. Look at this. His arms are wrapped with deceit. His vestiges are all about deceit and conniving. And even his voice trying to disguise it to be like his brothers. This is Jacob. He's after the right thing. The wrong way. Ever done that? So our lesson perhaps that harkens back to a couple of weeks ago is that there are some principles that we need to carry from all the way back then. Uh, we see first of all that this puts him on the run because Esau, once he found out that daddy Isaac has given away the blessing by uh, really deceit to his younger twin brother, Jacob is, Esau, Esau is mad. And so we learned last week that certainly we can never help God accomplish His will by doing things our way. God has a way of overruling. You don't have to help God get His will done. He's going to work through all the circumstances, even our weaknesses, failures, and sins to accomplish his sovereign will. We never have to help God fulfill his promises. God is big enough to accomplish his promises his way. There was the favoritism of Isaac, all this kind of by reestablishing where we've been. There was the favoritism of Isaac placed upon Esau, the eldest son, even though, even though, even though Isaac had heard the declaration of God while the two while his two twin sons were still in the womb. Remember the declaration of God way back in chapter 25? He, he knew that his sons two were fighting in the womb. And God had declared that the elder would serve the younger, but still he wants to go, Isaac wants to go around that and bless the eldest in the room of the youngest. So his daddy Isaac was a little bit of a conniving cheat. There was the deception of Jacob. I just talked about that. It seems to be a family trait or tra a tradition. There was the hatred of Esau, the schemes of Rebekah. Rebekah loved Jacob because he was, a, he was a guy that loved the tents and cooking and hung around the house, so to speak. And she had an attraction naturally for his characteristics and traits and the friendship that he had with her. And this family was a toxic mess. Don't raise your hand. Any of you come from a home like that? 
Can God overrule? Absolutely. And God does. He works out his sovereign plan. And it wasn't just in their home. We're going to talk about a theme called echoes this morning. There's echoes all over the place. Remember Abraham? Abraham had some of the same problems that his son Isaac had. Abraham tried to go around God's defined will and had a, had a baby boy with his handmaid, Hagar. Remember that? Couldn't wait on God. God was taking too long. Maybe some of you think that God is just either unkind or you're getting impatient with a plan of God and so you want to help God out. And so the law of echoes, it just surrounds Jacob. Someone has said the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and rarely does it roll uphill. Some of you have picked up on the traits of your parents. Often Rob and I will look at each other and say, boy, you remind me of your, I'll say, you remind me of your mother, and she'll, you're your daddy. She was cutting my hair last night and said, you got your father's hair. It's gray and wiry. <laughs> We got not only our father's characteristics, we have our, our father's temperament often, and a lot of the things. The law of echoes takes place in Jacob's life. And we often see our own weaknesses reflected in our children. So we find Jacob running from home because he's afraid of his brother Esau. He's running away from the toxic mess, a doting mother. A father who paid him little mind or attention. Negligent parents. And so Jacob is on the run, fearing for his life, under the guise with excuse that his mother said, I don't want you to marry any local girl. I want you to go. And by the way, son, it's about time you think about marriage. You're nearly 80. So take off, go back to my home country, which is 500 miles north, and find one of those gals that I'm related to that are a whole lot better than the Canaanite women around Shechem here. Or Beth, or, or excuse me, Beersheba. A whole lot better than these. So go up north. And we're going to use that as an excuse. But really, run for your life. Your brother's about to kill you. That's the historical context upon which we find Jacob at Bethel. And there's, there's the dream he has. He's uh, really reminded by God. And here's what I like about a little comment that uh, Donald Barnhouse, Donald Gray Barnhouse says concerning Jacob's fleeing from home. He says this, We do not know how much family baggage Jacob carried on his shoulder, but he was carrying a heavy load in his heart. He was alone, a fugitive, imagining vengeance behind every stone, seeing an offended brother lurking in every shadow, the last embrace of his doting mother was fresh upon him. Would he ever see home again? Not for 30 years. What lay before? Had his effort to obtain the blessing been worthwhile? Doing it his way, not God's. Was the blessing worth all that was costing him? What a dark night he, sh uh, he spent at Bethel upon the rocks. Isn't it darker than usual, he thought? What noise is that? Could I, could I run fast enough and far enough for my brother? What should I do now? It was there that God 
reestablished for him the covenant, the darkest night of his life. And then I want you to turn your attention to chapter 28. And this is where we were when we left Jacob last time. Jacob, after seeing that angelic vision of an angel, angels coming up and down the ladder, God renewing the vows. Jacob vowed a vow himself, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, running in fear, running away from an angry brother, going who knows where. And if that God will go with me and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again, that I return here to, the, to, God, to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, we're talking about in this series, the memorials, primarily as we begin, the memorials of Jacob. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. Now back to verse 16. He, when he woke out of his sleep, said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. I don't know about you, but sometimes in the darkest moments of my life in the past, I have been surprised that God still loved me. Ever been surprised after your sinful ways, after your straying from God, that God still loves you, cares for you? And on that dark night, he meets God. And how kind of God to find us at our lowest, our worst, our farthest point, our filthiest, our darkest moments, our weakest moments, and bring his assurance to us by a gentle whisper. He meets us and he says, though you have sinned, though you have failed, though you have sinned greatly, I still have a divine purpose for you. I still love you. I remember uh, going through a very dark time in my life, and I was so discouraged. My father, alive at the time, came to me, and he whispered to me gently, he said, son, I know you've gone through it, but I want you to know something. God is not finished with you yet. He's got something for you to do. Don't give up. How close are you to quitting? How close are you to giving up? Genesis 28, verse 15. Of course, I will be with you. Of all people, Jacob, I will keep thee. Of all people, you, Jacob, in places where you go, I'm going to walk with you. I will bring you again into this land. I will not leave you, you rascal Jacob, you deceiver, your supplanter, the heel grabber, all the nicknames that Jacob had and that he had earned. I'm not going to leave you until I've done that which I've spoken to thee. Isn't it good of God to keep his plan going and ongoing even though we fail him? The blessing. So that is where we were. Now, secondly, I want you to know something: that God's plan is is ongoing, and yet we see this. Uh, and I love this quote by David Brainer: "There is a God in heaven who overrules all things for the best." And this, he said, is the comfort of my soul. If you know anything about the biography of David Brainerd, full of health difficulties and challenges, died at age 29, trying to reach the native Indians up in the northeast. 
And yet he had this confidence in his heart that God overrules all these difficulties for his best and my good. And here's, what we're, here's where we're going to see Jacob. John, this map is probably hard to see from where you are, but we're going to see and follow Jacob for the next 20 years. It won't take that long, but we'll follow him in the text as he leaves and heads, I don't know if you see that little road, death, from this area, Beersheba, all the way up to uh, an area right here called Haran. 500 miles away, he's on the run, he's escaping, he's trying to get, up, get away from his angry brother, who by the way has, a, has quite an arsenal, he's a hunter, right, so I think he could probably take Jacob out with any of the tools in his, in his chest of weaponry, but he's running from his brother, and this is where we find him, so we see that Jacob ran, but he could not hide and we, we see that story that we're going to try to compress in detail this morning, chapters 29 through 31. And he makes this 500-mile journey. And we get, see him as he arrives finally at Lab, Uncle Laban's uh, area or house. And what do we know about Uncle Laban? Again, a lot of history here, but it's going to make sense when we get to the second memorial that, uh, that we see Jacob uh, arrive. Uh, to, to help him remember a wonderful principle in his life. Well, he arrives probably foot-weary and, and tired from this long journey. He gets finally to the place where uh, his mother grew up. And uh, Jacob, run, running away from trouble, and he arrives here. And the first thing, of course, life in those days was all about water. you got to go from one well to the next well to stay alive. And we find out that when he arrives in Laban's backyard, his uncle, that Laban is every bit the scoundrel that Jacob is. How many of you know, maybe some of you are a little older, how many of you know that you can run fast and run far, but you cannot escape your troubles? <laughs> how many of you tried to do that? A fresh start, a new page, a new leaf in life. One godly pastor told me when I was young in the ministry, he says, don't be in a hurry to leave a ministry. He said, because what you're going to find out is wherever you go and whatever church uh, you, you minister in next, you're going to find the same problems just with different names. The same people just with different names. The same uh, frustrations. And there's two reasons you can't outrun your problems. One is, uh, problems are, we live in a sin-cursed world and they're just replicated wherever you go. And secondly, you take your same sinful heart with you. The same things that you struggle with in one place, you're going to struggle with in the next place. There's no place except for heaven where there's no sin. And where there's sin, there's trouble. And he could not outrun. He ran 500 miles north thinking, all right, this is going to be wonderful. And what happens is 20 years of frustration and trouble and all kinds. Of, it starts with work troubles. But let's read, first of all, this interesting, and it's really, again, there's a lot of echoes from his life to those of his forebears. But let's see what happens. Now, remember, he's on a wife-finding mission. At least that's why he went. He's really running, too, from his brother. But we see here, as we get here to chapter 29, that he goes on his journey, and 
we ought to find out what happens when this, uh, this healthy 78-year-old um, is finally excited about falling in love with it. We, historians say she's probably in her 20s. Go figure. Now, back in the day of longer lifespans, he's probably, it compares perhaps a 50-something year. He's in midlife probably. But Jacob goes on his journey, chapter 29. Follow with me in your text, please. And he came to the land of the people of the east. This fertile crescent is kind of towards the north, that part. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field, and lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. It was shut up until a certain time when all the flocks would be watered. And thither were all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the sheep and put the stone again in the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said unto them, now he's a newcomer, he said unto them, My brethren, whence be ye? And they said, Of Haran we are. And he said unto them, Do you know, know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. We know him. And he, and he said unto them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And behold, Rachel, his daughter, cometh. Look here. That's his daughter coming with the sheep. And he said, Lo, it is yet high day, neither is it time. That the cattle of the flock should be gathered together, water ye the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks, there's a protocol, be gathered together. And they roll the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she kept them. And the subtext here, and he was smitten with her. Do you know meeting the right girl motivates you? It does. We'll read on in the text, and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Laban, or excuse me, that, that excuse me, Jacob went near and rolled a stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now the girls know well the story of how Aunt Rebecca, follow these names now, Aunt Rebecca is Jacob's mother. How Rebecca found her husband at the well in a similar location. Eleazar came, and there was that test of the camels. Lord, if there's a girl here that will uh, water my camels, and I, I, I will know that that's the one. And of course, that's how Rebecca found uh, Isaac, and it's a great story. And here we're having an echo of that. Rachel certainly knows how her aunt fell in love, at least got married. When Jacob saw Rachel, uh, he was smitten, and he rolled the stone. There's a hero. He puts his cape on, rolls the stone from the well's mouth, waters the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel. This is not unusual. It's customary in the culture, and lifted up his voice. Now, this is a little unusual, and wept. He's so thankful for finding this girl. And he lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she, now with a new energy in her feet, ran and told her father. Jacob introduces himself as her father's brother, better his kinsman, nephew, and that her aunt Rebekah was his mother. This news propelled little Rachel back home. 
and she runs off and talks to daddy about the new boy in town. I say, the new boy, he's 78. Laban welcomes him with great joy and in a sense adopts him. In chapter, excuse me, chapter 29, verse 14, Laban says to him, surely thou art my bone and my flesh, flesh and bone. Some would say there was an informal adoption that takes place right here. And he abode with him the space of one month. Of course, then, uh, I guess there is a contract. Verse 15, Laban says unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And, of course, uh, Jacob had already spied Rachel. Laban had, verse 16, two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger, that's important, was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed. But Rachel was beautiful, well-favored, comely, stole his heart. Jacob loved Rachel, said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to thee than I should give her to the, the locals around here. Another man, abide with me. And, family, excuse me. and Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed, this is a verse you often hear, at weddings, right? Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had to her. Now, I want you to fast forward a little bit to understand Uncle Laban's uh, work struggles with Jacob. Jacob, at first of all, said, I'll work for free for seven years so that I could be married to Rachel. But I want you to fast forward just a little bit to chapter 31. It's on the screen behind me in verse 38. This is kind of towards the end of their 20 years together, but this is his assessment of his boss in terms of the work relationship that they had. Chapter 31, keep your finger there, of course, in chapter 29, 30. But here in chapter 31, and, and I just, this is perhaps some of the last words that Jacob has for his uncle. Jacob was wroth. What does that mean? He's angry. And chode, argued with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my sin? Now he's at this point running away from Laban. But what's my sin that thou hast been so hotly pursuing after me, whereas thou hast searched all my stuff? Hast thou found any of your, he was looking for his little godlets in the, among the baggage. And he, he says, verse 38, This twenty years have I been with you. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. I've not taken any of your stuff, but I've not earned. That which was torn of beast I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day. The drought consumed me in the night, the frost, and my sleep departed from my eyes. I have been with you 20 years in thy house. I've served thee 14 years for two daughters, six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages, what? Ten times. And he's not talking about wages getting better. <laughs> he's talking about wages going down. Would you work for a boss that did that? 20 years, 10 times. He mentions that phrase more than once. He said, except God, uh, my father, God of Abraham, fear of Isaac, been with me. Surely thou hast sent me away empty. 
God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesternight. Now I want to tell you something. This man, Laban, was just a big as shyster and a conniver and a double talker and a trickster as Jacob was. And this was an unhealthy, he'd run from an unhealthy home, came to another unhealthy home, and for 20 years it was a fight. This man Laban was selfish. There were work troubles all over the place. And it would be a very, very difficult thing. Well, then he had wife trouble. You probably know about this, don't you? It's an interesting read. Did you know that Jacob had wife troubles? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) We'll just keep moving here. But look at chapter 29. Back to chapter 29. And about this relationship, he he longed to marry Rachel, the younger of the two. We see it, chapter 29, verse 16 and on. We've already read some of these verses. I I will serve these seven years, verse 18, for Rachel. Finally, those days were accomplished, and Jacob says to Laban, now in his 80s, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place, made a big feast, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter. That's not a mistake. He took Leah and brought him to her, her to him. And he went in unto her, and Laban gave unto his daughter Leah. This, again, is a customary thing in those days. Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid, and it came to pass that in the morning... Uh, this in, in, in the original Hebrew is an exclamatory statement. <laughs> Behold in the morning, what? It was Leah. Now that's not who he had bargained for. That's not who he had worked seven years for. Somebody said this is when they invented flashlights. I'm not sure that, and made veils optional at weddings. I'm not sure about that. But what, is, what a surprise it was to Jacob. The deceiver being deceived. What? And he goes to, of course, his boss, his uncle. Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore hast thou what? Beguiled me. And Laban said, it's not so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Of course, we know that then he gave to to Jacob Rachel and had to work another seven years for Rachel. Her. So there are work troubles, there are wife troubles, and we know that his life after he marries two, which is never God's plan in Scripture, be clear about that. It was culturally acceptable and often uh, done that way, but, but once you put those two wives together in one home, what troubles followed? And we know the story how there was just tremendous and really, there is even in, we see that Rachel, his beloved wife, his favorite wife, he never, ever, ever truly accepted Leah, loved her as he did Rachel. But Leah, the Bible says, once God saw that Jacob, and the word is used, hated or despised her in relationship to Rachel, God opened her womb and she had child after child after child. And every child she has, she names, according to the narrative, the story of her heart, Reuben. <clears throat> we see the story in chapter 29, 29 and beyond. 
As the children are being added to the family, Leah names them to reflect the, the wife troubles. Reuben means, now maybe my husband will accept me. Simeon, God hears me even though Jacob, my husband, doesn't. Levi, I hope he will love me now. You see this, he's embroiled in the same problems with different names that he left in the past. Judah finally comes where her heart changes, Leah's heart changes, and Judah means, let God be praised in spite of it all. And Judah would be the line through which the Messiah would later come. Finally, Rachel's womb is opened. You see, uh, see chapter 30, and again, I'm just hurrying through the text, but see chapter 30, the family life. When Jacob, or excuse me, when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, <clears throat> Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Can you just see the pleading of this uh, woman who to this point has been barren and fertile? She said, Give me children, what? Or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, Am I God? Am I in God's stead? who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb. And again, we see the same kind of transposing then. Let's do, this, let's do this culturally. Let's figure out how to have children without doing things God's way. So there's work troubles, 20 years of work troubles. There's wife troubles and family troubles. Chapter 31, verse 2, we see that again, there's more trouble even than within the family. Chapter 31, verse 2. Uh, well, we could back up to verse 1. He heard the <clears throat> words of Laban's son saying, Jacob. Here's what the sons are saying. Laban's own sons are saying, Jacob, this, uh, this supplanter has come and taken away all that was our father's. His, his crops and his flocks were being blessed supernaturally. It wasn't just the way, and he was very shrewd about um, animal husbandry and all that. It's an interesting story. We'll not get into that. But God simply blessed him in such a way it was unmistakable. And all the boys saw it as, as Jacob taking away all that was their father's. And verse 2 says, Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban. And all of a sudden, this bitterness, it changes the way he looks. It changes the way he's looking at his son-in-law. No longer, no longer does Jacob have the same favor that he once had. And walking around the farm, the ranch, there is this change. There's a cloud that moves in when bitterness takes over. And now Uncle Laban rues every step that he takes. He doesn't appreciate Jacob being on property. And there's this unhealthy Again, I use that word toxic relationship that has followed him all his life. Work troubles, family troubles, troubles with his wives. We see he's surrounded again with all this difficulty. Well, enough is enough. He has his wives together for a family meeting in chapter 31. And he brings them out to a field separately or secretly, and he talks to them about their father, Laban. He said, I've had enough. I have had enough. 
And they agree as well. Laban had disinherited them. There's supposed to be a dowry that the girls receive according to age and the wealth of the master, the dad, and they had been disinherited from that. In the ten times that his wages had been lowered, he had also taken from his own daughters all that was coming to them. And they say in chapter 31, verse 15, Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and devoured our money for all the riches. All the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, and I, this phrase is telling, Whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do it. We cannot abide daddy anymore. Take us out of here. God prompts him then to leave. But instead, and this is Jacob's way, instead of doing it God's way, what does he do? He waits until father-in-law Laban takes all the sheep away for shearing and he gathers up all his growing flock, Jacob's growing flock, his grandchildren, he would have he would have 12 sons and one daughter. He gathers up all the children, Laban's grandchildren, packs everything up, camels and horses, everything. He takes them and he starts to move back to where God promised him he would return him. In the, while they're away, and for three days they're sneaking off. And that's where finally we get to the second memorial. I will not belabor this, but I want you to know this is, a, this is the context that's so very important to know about mitzpah. He's surrounded by work troubles, by wife troubles, by family troubles. And again, he's in this same, this same festering bowl of soup. Nobody likes me. I'm hated. My father-in-law is bitter at me. So he begins the journey south. He gets about 300 miles south. The land of Palestine, back closer towards home. And of course, Laban, after three days, hears about this. What do you think Laban's going to do? Laban gets his best horses together, probably some of his armed servants family members, and begins to charge southward. He's going to catch up. After all, he thinks, listen now, he thinks that the girls are his, the grandkids are his, and the flocks are his, because when Jacob came to his ranch, he volunteered, he indentured himself. He, was, he in, in Laban's mind, Jacob is just a, a hired servant. And so everything that the servant gets in life belongs to the master. He thinks this whole entourage that's gone is really belongs to him. The truth is that when a, even when a servant comes and is adopted and marries the daughter of the master, he becomes on equal footing as a son, rightful son. And so Jacob thinks, no, 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 God has given me all this. This is my this is my stuff, my wives, my children, a gift from God. 
And so here we have, this is the context as we wrap up this morning. This is the context. It's not a happy place where they find each other. As we come to that last, really, memorial, uh, we see Jacob and Laban's peace treaty, chapter 31. And (laughs) beginning at verse 17, they rose up and his sons and his wives and the camel and he carried away all his cattle the goods, cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padan Aram, Haran, to go, uh, or to go to Isaac, his father's house in the land of Canaan. Laban went to shear his sheep. And of course Laban, it was told him on the third day, verse 22, that he fled. He took his brethren with him, pursued him seven days' journey, and they overtook him at Mount Gilead. This is near the Sea of Galilee, and God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream. Now, Laban, I want to tell you something about Laban. Laban is not a believer in the God of heaven. He's got godlets from Babylon all over his house. He is, he's a false idol worshiper. But God intercepts Laban, the God of heaven, the real God, and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. What's he he saying? He is saying, don't overreact. Has God ever caught you, said that to you? You're all steamed up about something. God says to Laban clearly, you're you're about to come to your son-in-law's camp, and you're awfully upset. Do not overreact. (laughs) It's good advice for any of us. So he, knowing, and this is, a, this is something you have to know from the history, he knowing, Laban, knowing that whoever owns the Babylonian godlets has the rightful claim of inheritance. And Jacob didn't even know this, but Rachel had taken, you see how these themes repeat? Rachel had taken all of her daddy's godlets from Babylon, Persia, and she had hidden them in the camel's saddlebag. Jacob didn't even know this. And the real reason, most interpreters believe, the real reason that Laban is so incensed is that Rachel has taken away the rightful claim to inheritance. He doesn't know who has his godlets, his little statues. Teraphim. He doesn't know, but he knows one thing. He wants them back so he can confer them upon another son. And the blessing of all these false gods he thought he would be missing. So he comes and he's incensed. He's mad at Jacob. He's mad for losing his godlets, his little gods, false gods. And God interrupts him to stop it. You do not control yourself. Don't, uh, don't overreact. And so here they come. Laban, verse 25 of chapter 31, overtook Jacob. Now Jacob pitched his tent in the mount, Mount Gilead, in the foothills. And Laban, <clears throat> with his brethren, pitched in the mount of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What hast thou done? Thou hast stolen. This is a repeated theme. Thou hast stolen. Look at verse 19. Rachel had stolen the images. Look at verse 20 
um, 20, and Laban, excuse me, Jacob stole away unawares. You see this theme started all the way back in his own home. A lot of stealing going on. Verse 26, Laban said to Jacob, Why, what hast thou done? Thou hast stolen away unawares to me, carried away my daughters as captives, without saying goodbye, as captives taken with a sword. Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me? And didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth, songs, and a big feast. 28, and hast not suffered me at least to kiss my sons and daughters, the proper goodbye. Thou hast now done foolishly in doing this without even any goodbye after 20 years. It is in the power of my hand to kill you, to do you hurt. But God of your father, not mine, God of your father spake unto me yesternight, saying, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now, though thou wouldst needs be gone, because thou sore longest after my, thy father's house, he says, I understand that, you're homesick. Yet wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? That's his primary concern. And Jacob answered, and I've read these verses. Jacob doesn't know that Rachel has them. Rachel claims that she's kind of in her monthly cycle as a woman and won't get up. She's hiding from her dad. There's just all kinds of echoes of a theme. And Jacob, again, we've already read this little speech, verse 36 through 42. You've changed my wages. What are you saying? This is the, this is the context that leads us finally to our last section of Scripture. Laban answered, verse 43, to Jacob, these daughters are mine, these children are mine, and these cattle are my cattle, and all that thou seest is mine. Yeah, do you hear a little do you hear a little six-year-old mine, mine, mine? What can I do this day to these daughters or to their children which they have borne? He's feigning a little bit. He hasn't paid much attention to them, but now he's all all emotional about it. Now therefore come. Let us make a covenant, I and thou. Let it be a witness between me and thee. And Jacob, here it is, the second memorial of Jacob. It took me a minute to get here around the barn, but I want you to know it's important history because it has great bearing upon this memorial. Jacob took a stone in this emotionally tense situation, and he set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones. They took stones, and they made a heap. And they did eat thereupon the heap, and Laban called it Jegarsahodutha, but Jacob, that's Aramaic, and Jacob called it Galid. And upon, uh, and Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore, the name of it was Galid and Mitzpah. Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives besides my daughters, no man is with us. The covenant is broken. See, God is a witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold this pillar which I have cast between you and me. This heap shall be a witness, this pillar be a witness, that I will not pass over. This is a line in the sand. I will not come past this heap, this memorial, and you shall not pass over this heap. 
my direction, and this pillar unto me for harm or for evil. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, he claims his own God. The God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac and his uh, father Isaac's God. And then Jacob offered sacrifice upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up, kissed his sons and daughters, blessed them. Laban departed and returned unto his place. Jacob's resolution with his son. This is all mine, he says. Of course, Jacob had another take on that. But gathering a large stone, Jacob sets it upright. In a separate place, he calls his family together and offers a sacrifice. And here's what these strange names mean. This covenant is made. This stone is erected. Smaller stones around it for an altar, an eating place. And Jagar Sahudutha really means mound of testimony in Aramaic. In Hebrew, it's called Galid for a mound of witness. Verse 49 of chapter 31, it's also named what? It's named Mitzvah, a watch tower. Verse 49, this is Mitzvah. This is a watch tower between me and thee when we are absent from one another, let God settle this. Let God be our witness that from here on out, Laban speaking to Jacob, from here on out, see this line right here, Mount Gilead? We've had 20 years of trouble. Any of you come from a troubled home? Um, I don't know if your daddy ever did this, but said, here, let's go out in the backyard, boys, and... You, you live in this side of the backyard, and son too, you live in this. Never, maybe that's the way to solve things. But they raised this altar and said, we've had 20 years of trouble. We've had all kinds of misunderstandings. But right here, we're going to raise this up. And from this day forward, I am not going to pass this line <clears throat> to do you evil. And I want you to say the same thing to me. You do not pass this line to do me evil. And they kind of... They kind of just, what do we do, spit in your hand and made a truce. It's kind of an unwieldy thing, but they had this, you think you were hoping for some great spiritual insight. This big, this is the, 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 the God of heaven and the God of our gods over here in Babylon. May they watch over us and may they listen in and may we never harm one another anymore. You go and I'll go. Makes it easier, right? to leave your troubles. And I got to thinking about <clears throat> this is really a, a peace treaty between two families that could not get along. A symbol, a memorial to a peace established with a line in the sand that says, you stay in the south, I'll stay in the north. I can't get along with your family, so you go there and we'll go here and may God May God be the judge and arbiter of this thing. May we never, ever cross over, at least to do each other wrong or harm anymore. And they shook hands, they kissed the kids, and they left. And I had to think about my peace memorial and yours 
It's not at Mount Gilead. It's at Mount Calvary. Their God erected this wonderful symbol and sign. It's an empty cross. And there God said, it's not that I don't want you to come any closer to me ever again. He said, no, at this symbol, at Mount Calvary, this is my peace treaty with man. I'm taking all the, all the baggage of your whole life and I'm going to pay, I'm going to make peace with the Father for you and I'm going to pay for all the wickedness and all the evil and I'm going to make it right instead of saying, don't come any closer to me anymore. Don't bother me anymore. Instead, I'm going to say, whosoever will may come. I've paid for all the sin and the evil, so come, come nearer to me. Instead of saying, don't ever come any closer, God invites us. The temple veil was rent in two, and he invites us to come, to live in his house in a new reconciled relationship. Sometimes we think the only way I can get along with that person in my family is to leave them alone. To send them away. Do you have a friend or neighbor that way? Family member? Aren't you glad that God, when he looks at us and begins to count all the things that we have done, instead of saying, I never want to see you cross this line again, Mind your own business. Instead, he offers and did pay for every sin. Calls us to himself. Adopts us as part of his family. And invites us to walk with him. And just as he told Jacob, I will never leave you. That same God has made peace with us at Mount Calvary. I don't know how many of you are trying to make peace with people by simply saying... I guess it will never work. Let's shake hands and go our separate ways. And I know there's some very difficult situations. I know God was the one that moved him on. But aren't you glad your Father in Heaven invites you to Himself? Maybe you're here this morning, you've never understood that God's grace is bigger than every sin that you have ever seen. He's paid for it. Jesus paid it all. And at this moment, maybe you're confused about whether you have a home in heaven or not, a relationship with God or not. But God is inviting you, whosoever will may come. And as you come, you cast upon Him the burden of your sin, which He's paid for, and you receive Him as your Lord and your Savior. And salvation is a quest for God, not just an escape from hell. Or in a forgiveness for a long rap sheet. No, it is a quest for God. Only God can bring you to life. Only God can give you hope. Only God can give you peace in your heart. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, comes when we get in a right relationship with Him. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.